Good evening, you are listening to 3 Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney, joined this time by Rowan Kaiser. Hello! And Len Hafer. Hello! So, I'm going to make some sweeping statements here, and we'll touch on the places that history Excellent. contradicts those statements, but yeah, everyone just bear with me for a second, we're, we're getting the broadest brush out, maybe a roller <laughs> even, and we're going to paint some walls for this topic, and then we will get into it. So, I would say... This is a fair summary, in my opinion, but let's let's go. For a long time, uh, faction differentiation in strategy games was itself sometimes an atypical feature. A lot of games had tons of factions or races or civs, but their differences could be extremely minor bonuses or starting positions or maybe absolutely nothing at all, just different artwork. Uh, the Command and Conquer back in the early 90s had factions that played reasonably dif differently was, at the time, one of the striking features about that game. Then, at some point, you start seeing an increasing emphasis on differentiation. I think it's fair to say that StarCraft One is kind of the archetype here, where you have three races with completely different mechanics and dynamics that matched up in complicated ways. RTS games, in general probably led the way here and strategy games were or not to get into a semantic argument but uh yes, other yes. strategy games oh, more sorry. broadly were slower <laughs> to adopt the trend uh but when you come to civilization 5 the name of the game is increasingly faction specific lines of play uh each faction might be broadly similar but it's specially tuned around a few strengths and a few end game goals and then today, I think we maybe are playing in an era of what we might call hyper-specificity. Uh, every new faction in Total War Warhammer 2 is not just a new starting position, it's an attempt to create a completely different game within the game. If you play Civilization VI, the first thing you realize is that every faction is primed for success in different ways, and different eras. They have different biomes they, they thrive in. Uh, they have different relationships with major mechanics. And so we're at this point now where you can look at a strategy game and say, well, what's this game about? And increasingly, the answer is, well, it depends on who you're playing as. Uh, so... Rowan, I, I know we're going to zoom in on different parts of the story, uh, but let me ask you and Len as well a, a broader question here just to lead off. Do you like it here? <laughs> I mean, yeah, like whether this is good or not is sort of one of the core things, because like that's why we came up with this idea for a show is we were doing our 2020 roundup and you were talking about the non-mon campaign for Total War Three Kingdoms and we, you and I were both kind of disappointed by that. We didn't really want to play as the non-mon the way that they had set up the non-mon. Lynn, however, loved it. Uh, and like, that's part of what's gone on here is we've had this situation where the increasing specificity of these faction designs has it so that, uh, sometimes something will click with you and sometimes it just really won't. And like, that can be a bit of an issue sometimes with uh, things like the Donmon campaign or the way that Civ has gone. So, like, I like it in general when it's working, but there is also, like, a part of me that kind of wishes that not every game was going so far down this hyper-specified path. Yeah, I mean, I like it. 
I, I like it. That's my answer. All right. Podcast over. No. All right. Well, uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Cream the Head. <laughs> uh, uh, you should plug plug the Patreon. Yeah. Get yeah. it out early. So yeah. you can get yeah. more of this. New tiers. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I really like it. I, I, I think that um, the more different you know, each playthrough is from the last, the more time I'm likely to spend with a particular game. And, uh, you know, there are ways to do that besides making the factions incredibly specific in their designs. There's clever ways you can do that with, you know, start positions and things, which which is, uh, you know, kind of the older civs. I think a lot of it was was sort of based around what kind of a start you get is going to influence what your game looks like. Um, maybe even more so than your faction mechanics. Uh, but I've been enjoying it. I mean, particularly what like total war Warhammer has been doing and total war three kingdoms have been doing, uh, with their faction design. Um, just the idea that you can take this framework of this, uh, this, what started out as a pretty, fairly simple straightforward map painting formula if we think back to like even the you know the medieval two days and then you know now now if i'm playing as you know the wood elves like they don't even really necessarily want to control a lot of territory like i like stuff like that i like that it's it's remixing it's figuring out where the fun is and that the fun isn't necessarily just blobbing out across the entire map and finding ways to create interesting strategic and tactical scenarios by encouraging you to not do that. Well, one of the things that uh, I looked into when I was developing this is like the difference between Three Kingdoms and uh, Shogun 2, which these are roughly similar games. They came out, I think, eight years apart, maybe seven. And they are, you know medieval era roughly east asian civil wars with like huge personalities and lots of literature around them um and if you look at like total war shogun 2 faction design they're like plus 20 percent growth to industry buildings yeah. or like <laughs> you know archers are 10 percent cheaper or you can get like special archers for one faction but not every faction has a special unit uh and then you get into three kingdoms and like the core factions the like the three kingdoms themselves and yuan shao uh are they have some interesting things but the further outside of that you get the weirder stuff gets uh like Dong Zhuo Dong has Zhuo. to be constantly yep. raiding, uh, raiding and raising cities. Uh, Kong Rong is just a guy who sits there and makes a ton of money and is not like actually supposed to be fighting. Liu Biao uh, can't control territory; he needs to get allies. Uh, things like that are like super different. Uh, so playing you know, just slightly outside those peripheral zones where you're not necessarily trying to blob, uh, can get exciting. Uh, I, like I said, I didn't really like, uh, soon, or I didn't really like the non-mon, but I really liked Soon Say and, uh, Lu Bu's additions that, uh, Three Kingdoms had earlier this year, which are like all built on momentum. The more battles you win, the further you can go, the more different types of people you beat, the, uh, um, stronger your main character gets, uh, 
those were really interesting additions to push the player to play more aggressively when sometimes uh, you can be feel like, you know, turtling is the best idea in a game like that. So, uh, yeah, they, just like in seven years, we have seen these huge differences in how just one particular franchise goes. And like, I, if we go through this historically with things like Total War and Civilization, I think we can, we can really see how these changes are. Yeah, I think for me, when I think about whether or not I, I like this, um, the answer is very much, of course, it depends. Like, and what I mean, what I mean by that is, to an extent, I think a lot of this uh, paradigm in the development and evolution of strategy games and the the notion of a strategy game as a, as a living game, everything is a live game now. Part of that is, in some ways, it means that a game really quickly begins uh, catering to people who are just looking to do more and more stuff in it. And that does mean that it can become increasingly inscrutable in a way that we've talked about, like Paradox Games, for instance, right? Where it's like, okay, well, you know, you play you play a Paradox Game, the year it comes out. And then you're like, I'm a little bored, take a year off. You come back and you're like, oh, this, this is pretty different. I need to relearn a lot. If you come back two years after that, you will not know what's going on. Uh, you will you will open it up and, and you'll be lost. And I do feel this isn't quite the same phenomenon. Uh, it's not so much about like revising uh, game design as much, but it does mean that increasingly what you encounter with some of these uh, hyper specific designs is that it's really meant to force players into pushing a really particular play style and line of play, but already there you are speaking to players who already have a good command of play style and just the way the game works. And so then you see a new faction and you're like, ah, I understand like uh, the way that this faction de depends on momentum. I understand how that is going to translate to what I have to do on the strategic layer. But if you are playing these things a little less consistently or a little more casually, and you're often in that like, still figuring it all out phase that does mean that so many of these things change your relationship with core elements of the game that it can make these games feel a little bit pricklier i think than they necessarily have to and i don't know that's not necessarily a good that's not a good or bad thing but it does mean that like there is a reason that every time i open up total war warhammer 2 i'm like uh yeah <laughs> where to begin um yeah de what, decision what fatigue do? yeah is a, a thing here and i think there's an aspect of it that we don't necessarily think about because we're press and we get these things for free but like all of these lords packs for total war hammer 2 uh that add two different lords usually uh like we just get those and we have to decide which lord we want to play but everyone else has to decide do i want to spend eight dollars on this dark elf who has to drink potions to stop from turning into a demon and i don't know if that play style is good for me i don't know if i like that part of the map i don't know if i want to actually spend the money on that uh so that is there's you know like business components of this too that i think are uh 
difficult and we don't necessarily have those on the forefront of our brains but this is not just a living game and that like it's constantly being updated but it's a living game and that it's constantly trying to make money and that's uh this is like a manifestation of that like you look at civilization six they just said okay we've done our two expansions but we keep want to keep adding civs pay us 40 bucks and you can have these six new civs across the next year and like that's not a thing that you could have done with Civilization 2 because you just like go into the text file and type a new name and add a new picture and uh, you've got Hitler and the Germans. It's interesting yeah, you it, mentioned... it seems like they also get more um, they get more kind of daring and creative with post-release stuff. Uh, both in Civ and Total War, it seems like kind of the, the, the factions they ship with seem to be kind of the ones that play sort of how you'd expect, but maybe with a twist, and then you get really, like, weird stuff <laughs> later on with DLC. Uh, the one that always comes to mind for me as the archetype of that was Venice in, in actually Civ Five, where they made a, they made a Civ that could only operate off of one city. Uh, and I thought that was, was one of the better one of the better factions in Civ Five, and I wish they would do more stuff that strange. Uh, even though if you know it might not fit into the meta for people who who really are playing, you know, to optimize and beat the game on deity or whatever. I had a lot of fun with uh, with that those kinds of factions. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a question here, like. All of us have gotten further into Total War, I think, and Total War games have generally gotten a lot better after a kind of dubious set for a little while. Um, and all of us have kind of fallen off of civilization a little bit, even though both of these things are moving into this kind of hyper-specificity. And I think that just sort of answers Rob's question with, yeah, it depends, like... Uh, well, can I can I speak to that exact point real quick? Sure. Uh, so I think one reason for that is that if you set yourself down to play Total Warhammer uh, one or two, there's some pretty milk toast factions where you can just go and like find your feet, right? Um, you just want to fight real set piece battles with a. Uh, like late medieval Renaissance style army, the dwarves, the dwarves are, are your faction there, right? They, they, uh, you will just put your forces uh, in a good, you're in a good formation and just click go. The the trick is going to be uh, sort of hopping from mountain base to mountain base. Um, you know the empire is also kind of self explanatory, not a a whole lot going on there. Warhammer two, um, I think this is the real reason I bounced off that game. Their milk toast factions are boring as hell. Um, I hate those elves. I hate them so much. Um, how dare you? Which elves? That cheesy little archipelago. Oh god. That... Both the, the high the high elves. Yeah, they suck. But everything is archers, Rob. Yeah, but I, your I just, spearmen are archers. I, I your them. archers are archers. Isn't your it the worst? Your archers. It's the worst. Your, <laughs> your supply trains are made of archers, and you got to march like, armies around a big donut. It's horrible. I hate it. Um, <laughs> that is not. That part is not fun. I'll give no, you that. no. I, I don't know why they keep doing this. I don't know why. Like, <laughs> look, total war. Your map never needs a water feature. 
Like, that's just my lesson. Um, uh, I don't know if that's... I would say it doesn't unless, need any water. Unless you are Fall of the Samurai, you do not need a water feature, and you don't deserve one. Um, <laughs> but I think... but I, So I think you have, in all those games, here's some easy ways to get your feet wet. I think Total War Three Kingdoms is great because... Like, like the, in the water? <laughs> well, damn it! Uh... <laughs> I think Total War Three Kingdoms is good on this too because, as you pointed out, like you know the the big three factions, the pretty basic ones, still have interesting stuff going on. They have interesting play positions, even if their dynamics are really similar. The issue I think you run into with what's happened a lot in the forex space, in part because so much of that genre has become, I think, about optimization games. That like, if you are just approaching Civilization Six. Everything has turned into, I don't know if it's necessarily an interesting decision, but a more nuanced decision. And figuring out how all those decisions fit together, depending on who your rivals are, which faction you are, um, what the geography around you uh, is doing, all that creates a really steep learning curve you can still you can still play civ you can still fuck around and like it will the game will function but in terms of like your ability to understand the ramifications of each decision you're making i think the direction they went in civilization six not just the faction design i think it's across the game uh creates a lot of potential for analysis paralysis and i think it begins around the time you're contemplating who do I want to play as? What do they do? And it's a really complicated question compared to what it used to be in Civ. Well, if we want to like go back, like Civilization 1 and 2, there was no difference. Like There were some AI differences if you're going against it, but these were just like the leader's name or face would be different. And everything else would play exactly the same. You're just saying, okay, I'm Germany now, or I'm India now. And it's only with Civ 3 that uh, they start being differentiated in uh, kind of permanent kinds of ways. I also think that the problem, particularly with Civ 5, is that, you know, if we want to talk about over-specificity, they have made every single bonus for every single Civ, like, way too complicated. Um, like I was just pulling up Canada because I remember that they stuck out to me for uh, like you mean Civ Five or Civ Six? Because I would say Six. Did okay, I say Because I was like, you said Five, and I was like, I don't know that six. I agree with Five. I mean six. Okay, we're on the I same mean page. Civ Six. Yeah. Uh, so so Canada, their their unique Civ ability is that they cannot declare surprise wars or wars on city states, uh, but surprise wars can't be declared on them, and every 100 tourism earned, they gain a diplomatic favor, and they get plus 100 diplomatic favors from successfully completing emergencies. Their special building. Gives plus one ability and plus two appeal and plus one culture for each adjacent tundra, tundra hills, snow, and snow hills tile. Plus two food and production when you research professional sports and plus four culture if adjacent to a stadium. That's just too what much stuff. That's just too much stuff. There's all these conditionals like uh, that makes me want to go back to just like archers are ten percent cheaper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like that that's that's too much that's that, like get pick pick a thing pick a thing for this building to be about and well, then and, just make it be about that and just think about it so you're reading that description here's what this faction is yeah and like 
how good a command do you have of all those game mechanics that are being referenced? And here's the other trick. A bunch of them are going to become relevant in the mid to late game. A part of a part of 4X games that everyone definitely sees a lot and internalizes their dynamics. <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of madness, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like the 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 faction design in Civ Six feels like all of these factions were just designed by people who have played five thousand hours of Civ for people who have played five thousand hours of Civ. Where I was, I would argue that like some of the more creative Total War factions that have got these very specific play styles, it's it's not that hard to understand. Like Wood Elves in in yeah, the just new set Wood those Elves tigers in the, loose. Yeah, the new Wood Elves in Warhammer 2, it's like you want to control the forests and the lands immediately around the forests. That's like, that's your thing. Like, so it's it's possible for it to get too complicated. The specificity isn't necessarily bad, but how you implement that specificity, you can go way overboard. Um, I think another thing that is important here, like... Part of this is kind of the, the DLC era, right? Uh, games as a service and constantly being able to add new content. And this is one way that you can make new content stand out. Uh, the other thing is that interfaces have gotten better is not necessarily the right word, but, uh, clearer, uh, more focus. I think that's that's probably the way to put it. More focused. So, like, when you talk about where you're placing your hockey rink in the, with the Canadians and you have all these potential bonuses, if you click build on the hockey rink and look at the map, you will just see that there is a spot that this is a really good place to put. Uh, you, you can see on the map all these little buttons. So, like, thinking about it and going to the list of things uh, is ridiculous, but it becomes super apparent when you look at it. And I think there's another game here that uh, we have praised for its interface and not instilling a ton of decision fatigue that... Uh, kind of gets around this and that's endless legend okay um that's you know the game that we never really figured out if it was like a top tier strategy game in terms of like what we're talking about with civilization about min maxing and optimizing everything there are probably ways to play it that way uh but it doesn't feel like it's designed to be like a competitive game in that way. It's like you pick a faction and the faction just kind of has a story either literally or kind of figuratively. And you just roll along with that. And those factions are really, really different. Like even among the generic starting factions before they started adding the super weird shit, you have like the knights that don't have food. They just use money and you use money to buy new population. Um, there are like two factions that are reasonably generic, the science fiction elves and science fiction dwarves and everything else is just like, it's really specific thing and it's works extraordinarily well in that game. Yeah, but also like it does it does work really well. I think in part though because I think one of the differences is that Civilization I think really quickly begins to feel like a game that, that you're supposed to kind of play tight, right? Like uh you know, you, you're not very far along in the difficulty before it starts feeling like okay, I really got to figure out like what is the optimal way to specialize these cities. How do I how do I get the most out of out of each hex? Endless um, legend is a little bit I, looser. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I just, uh, I made a segue there and didn't complete the segue. Yeah. Uh, Amplitude's, uh, interface work is fantastic. You're figuring out the colors and the icons that uh, are consistent across the entire game other than the entire series. Like, that thing helps hold it all together. That's that's what I was trying to get mm-hmm. at with, you know, shifting from Civ Six's interface into that, yeah. into Endless Legend. Uh, anyway, carry on. Yes. Well, actually, um, since you brought Amplitude, though, I, I don't know that this is tangential to this topic i suppose in one way but i am kind of curious what len makes of it um it feels like in some ways humankind is pushing this not to absurd lengths because because in some ways like maybe civilization six is the absurd lengths but humankind (laughs) appears to be like what if you can dynamically create your own hyper specific faction but it'll be yours and it's your story yeah, uh, for sure. I was actually I was actually going to bring that up eventually. Is that yeah? They because you pick a different, you know, what we would think of as a sieve in Civilization. You pick a different one for every era, and there's there's generally a bonus that carries over, and then there's a bonus that is specific only to that era. I think is how it works now. So it's not like it's not like you're stacking up six Civilization factions worth of bonuses onto your sieve. It's more like you're you're getting. One thing you can take with you and one thing that, like, this era is going to be about this thing. Um, but it is an interesting progression of the idea we're talking about here, where it's it's like, okay, we're going to do these really hyper-specific factions, but then we're also going to give the player some control let's, over how... Let's step back and describe this specifically. Yeah, so it's 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 uh, rather in in humankind rather than saying okay, I'm gonna pick the Babylonians and then we're gonna be Babylonians in six thousand BC and we're gonna be Babylonians in nineteen ninety five. Uh, you'd be the Babylonians for like the ancient era, and then when you tech up to the next era, you could pick the Romans or something. Like it's it's something that's gonna be appropriate to that era, um, and. They they have a set of bonuses and they have unique units and buildings, uh, like you'd be used to in Civ. Um, but they also have some kind of a perk that you can carry on with you after you stop being a Babylonian. I'm Roman now, but we have this Babylonian heritage, so you know all the Babylonian buildings that we built that are unique to Babylon. We still have those, and then we have some kind of like unique thing that carries through the ages. Uh, so by the end, you have a lot more total bonuses than you did at the beginning um which you know i think that's an interesting way to tackle it and uh you know it's 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 a flexibility to go along with the specificity right and and the idea that like they know that like people are going to find synergies that work really well together but they don't seem to be overly worried about that like you can still play and have fun and like win their win condition is pretty flexible too. It's like based on building up a fame score by doing cool stuff. Um, regardless of you know how, what would you know whether or not the sieves that you choose, the cultures you choose along the way synergize with each other, uh, which I like. Well, so one of the things here is that um, we're seeing kind of a trend or a push back against the hyper specificity, not necessarily by just making everything the same, but by making it a lot more customizable and you can change it on the fly. And there is a game that this is honestly the only reason that I'm 
glad that Troy's not here, but to mention <laughs> this, uh, is Stellaris is one of the big games for this where, you know, Paradox out of nowhere says, okay, we're going to start doing hyper-specific faction design, but you're going to be making that and it's going to be random or procedurally generated for all your opponents and you, you know, figure out things in this way. And they have a really neat system for that in that game. They don't have or didn't have really neat systems for actually playing the game, but for developing an empire, that stuff is, that stuff kind of kicks ass, uh, where you like pick their morality and certain aspects of the morality combined into different government types. Uh, but those can be changed over time by the decisions that you make in the game. Uh, and so you could, you know, go from start by having like a super militaristic, race of uh assholes and you know slowly convert them to uh a regular militaristic race of neoliberals with nice little <laughs> elections yeah and it's it's even spilled over uh you know with designing your own religion in crusader kings 3 is very much the same thing where you know you're you're picking what your morals are going to be you're picking what bonuses you want um yeah yeah uh so i, I can definitely see them going in that that kind of a direction uh which, you know, I mean, that that idea has been around for a long time, like Master of Orion designing your faction and stuff was also, I think, the best part of that game. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it is very similar to Stellaris in that way. Um, um, Master of Orion 2. Master of Orion 2, yeah, I think is when they first started letting you do that. But, uh, um, so, but actually, let, let's rewind a little bit because I'm curious about like also the the history of this idea um yeah let's do some archaeology that's why i'm really here and i don't know <laughs> you know honestly i feel like the next step is not to talk about the beginning of this but actually maybe just like start stepping backwards a little bit through time uh because yeah here we are like it's it's very as as i sort of said like it's hyper specific uh you've got really prescriptive ideas for how factions are supposed to play um but i think that is all stemming from uh you know to an extent a an impulse that started i think mostly in rts games where it was like you can create you can both emphasize the difference between factions which can help strengthen the theme of a game by designing them to play differently and express something about factional identity through play mechanics uh as well as sort of just make a game more interesting um and i i feel like in some ways uh starcraft is probably a good place to discuss this uh, because it, it's for me, at least the way I remember it, this was one of the first times this idea really started spreading like wildfire and people completely embraced it. I'm not entirely sure you could say that the Starcraft was the first to do it. Um, it might've just been the most popular example. Yeah. I mean, the game that popularizes it, it's often more, more important and interesting to talk about than the game that did it first or can be claimed to have done it first because there's a lot of little things going into this like command and conquer and red alert yeah uh both had like really distinct faction design but there were only two of them you had the good guys and the bad guys or the you know kind of goodish guys and the weird communists or whatever <laughs> uh like and you know 
Chess is asymmetrical faction design, like white has momentum until white either decides to give up momentum or black manages to seize it. But there is a distinct difference just in terms of, you know, who has happened to go first. And, you know, there are hard counters to each part of that. So anytime you have only two things, it's not quite the same as when you get three things. When you get three things and you have rock, paper, scissors for each one, not with each one, although you can maybe speak to this a little more, Rob, but... Uh, maybe there was an idea that, you know, Protoss always beat Terrans or vice versa, but Zerg would beat them. But I don't really get that impression when I hear people talking about multiplayer StarCraft. Yeah, it's it's varied. I mean, there's there's been times based on whatever happened in the latest patch where certain matchups were really imbalanced. Well, God, is that a topic in itself? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, because to an extent, right? Certainly StarCraft 2, maybe this is less the case with StarCraft 1, but by the time of StarCraft 2, maybe one of the things you're you're getting into is that now it's not enough that the factions be different, but somehow they all have to be equal as well. They have to have completely different ways of playing, but also none of them can be better than the other. And if there's ever a perception that one is, it's a problem. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that's kind of inherent to the way that they went with how the RTS genre moved to be about competitive multiplayer as a primary focus. Uh, the So you have this rock, paper, scissors with each thing where like, you know, maybe the, the Terrans maybe have really good defense because they can build the bunkers uh, so that, so the Zerg have things that are specifically able to destroy bunkers, but maybe they're not going to be as useful against the Protoss. Uh, you know, you can get into the specificity of design. There's three of them and they all have to be kind of adapted to on the fly. Whereas if you have just two factions, then uh, you know, you know what the hard counters are going to be in every single game. Uh, in in a game that has three factions, now you have to kind of have an amorphous idea of what a hard counter for something would be. So you could have seven factions, or you could have four, like Warcraft three. Um, is this making sense? I feel like I'm kind of getting at it in a weird way. No, it it, it does. No, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is one of the reasons that StarCraft takes off because it was super popular, but because you have to deal with three things at once instead of merely two. Um, the other important thing that we haven't discussed specifically here is that StarCraft is science fiction. Uh, science fiction and fantasy games can get into these like core racial values, uh, in a way that a real-world historical game may not want to deal with or may struggle with figuring out how to do it because then you get into racialism and you're, you know, declaring that the Chinese are inherently <laughs> industrious and that can be yeah. a little weird. And I think that's part of the reason that we have seen this kind of only very slowly get into uh, history games, whereas science fiction and fantasy games kind of had it from the start. Like, when I was thinking about all the different designs that were going on like i managed to get back to how warlords one behaved or heroes of might and magic or you know master of Orion. uh one didn't have it too much but two was all in on completely different factions and customizable factions um yeah master of magic you have kind of design your own factions in a way that is 
there are like distinct racial differences, but when you get to like the Master of Magic uh kind of spiritual sequels like Age of Wonders, then it's just like, okay, you're playing as the Hobbits. Okay, you're playing as the Dark Elves. And these have totally different rosters that all behave in totally different ways. The cities look completely different. Whereas uh, Master Magic was just kind of like, things are slightly different if you're playing as a Knoll versus playing as an Elf. No, I think I think you you're making a really good point about about you know how they they are trying to how they've tried to do this and are still continuing to try to do this with these historical factions in various games because I think a lot of times it has led to these like extreme levels of pop history stereotyping. If you think about like any game prior to maybe like the last five years that has a Norse faction, what is their special unit going to be? It's probably going to be some crazy shirtless guy with like two giant axes who gets like a plus 10 to attack and a plus a minus 10 to defense. Like that was just like the thing, like Vikings are these crazy wild berserker warriors who are aggressive and they're going to be really good at infantry combat and uh whereas now we know historically <laughs> that they should be crazy attacking berserker shirtless women yeah of course so this yeah. is this is a really important thing <laughs> and that it's, it's women who get to wear the helmets with horns on them too and they're extremely uh, literate with great hygiene yes yeah, oh yeah of course yeah uh, saxons yeah if. <laughs> Yeah, and then you know it's like you know they don't they don't really cover the, the fact that like trade and technology were probably way more the defining factor in uh, because they're they're trying to sell this like pop history packaged thing of like you want to play some Vikings here's some fucking Vikings for you, um, and it you know it it's it's you know I know they're not trying these games aren't trying to teach history. Um, but then you know we've seen we've seen it done a lot better with games like Three Kingdoms, where it's like everybody's armies are kind of the same. Like <laughs> it's not like you know uh, Dongfu has like Dong's uh, bad you know torturer guys who are gonna like rip your toes off or something like that. Like some of the older Total War factions had some. But pretty Warhammer ridiculous totally does, yeah. But you're, it yeah. does, and it's supposed to because yeah. you can. But then. Yeah, they 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 make it interesting by like, okay, this specific late Han bureaucrat was this kind of person, and so this is how his faction is going to work. Yeah, and they might have like one special unit, uh, but that's like more based on location and not like you know dogs yeah. special tortures or uh, non mons tigers that they release into. Okay, that's a good battle. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> I, I, well, I will give you that the tigers are silly as hell. I could have done without the tigers. Uh, uh, Egyptian uh, chariot archers, yeah. even when it's the Diadaki. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so like if you compare Starcraft to Age of Empires, or Age of Empires 2 was where I first started really noticing this. Uh, like Age of Empires 2 looks like it's kind of a palette swap. Uh, for when you switch, you know, the Persians have kind yeah. of a, a Middle Eastern architecture. The Romans have their Roman architecture. The Germans are more European, whatever. I, I think there's like groupings of each one, or maybe I'm thinking of Civ, but, uh, 
with Age of Empires 2, they gave each different civilization a specific unit, like the Persians had, I think, the elephant archers, uh, which could be, like, really dominant across the battle. But the thing I remember specifically, and I was annoyed when I was playing it, was that if you just played on default, some, like, units and buildings were just locked off depending on which civilization you were. So, like, the Persians were never going to have knights because they were not a medieval European place. But I wanted to play, and I wanted to see the cool Persian knights, uh, whatever that palette swap was. So... I would just switch that button off and say, like, I just want every unit and every building available to every faction. And that was probably a terrible way if I'd wanted to go play multiplayer because it would be super imbalanced because each each different faction would have, like, their bonuses and their special units. And then if you add knights on top of that to the Chinese or whoever, then it would get really ridiculous. Uh, but I just wanted to see all the different things with all the different designs. So... um well, so can I just speak to that? Because I think Age of Empires 2 and maybe even Rise of Nations are both doing something where um, they're kind of trying to smuggle some pretty interesting faction differentiation under the radar. It's it's a weird thing right. where, like, um, so StarCraft is, is broadcasting and it's shouting from the rooftops, right? Like, look, these Zerg, they've got the creep. Isn't that weird? And here you have these, like, history-based RTSs that absolutely have, uh, like, real faction strengths and weaknesses that interact with each other differently and change relationship with different uh, resource classes. And yet they still want it to all look very, feel comfortable and familiar, like, the game doesn't feel any different. The stuff you do feels the exact same, but you do have to know what those differences are if you're going to play at a more serious level. I, I sort of think, like, uh, is it fair to say maybe Heroes of Might and Magic was even the same way, where, where where the approach was, look, superficially, all these things are going to look really similar. There will be a palette swap. Things will look, uh, like, artistically different, but in terms of what buildings are available, what they broadly do, all that stuff is basically going to be true of every faction, except once you drill no, down, actually. those units are not going to be the same. And they're not going to interact no. with each other the same. Now, here's a Might Magic 2 especially, like, had very distinct, like, this is an early game faction, this is a late game faction. Uh, you know, the, the warlocks that could build the, like, super mega dragons at the end were, like, by far the most late game faction. So you're just trying to survive with your shitty units at the start, which are significantly worse than the shitty units for the other factions. Uh, and then once you start being able to build dragons, then you could start taking over. So that was actually a pretty significant, uh, departure from, uh, the sort of everything's kind of the same or everything should be the same. But yeah, like if you were playing as a barbarian or I think the elves, uh, in, uh, Heroes of Might and Magic 2, then you were like, okay, I have to rush. I, these are factions that are built on having the better, early game units and cheaper building resources for them because I will be overwhelmed if I do not manage to get a significant advantage early in the game. 
you could initially like view it as these are kind of a palette swap yeah. type of things. But yeah. I think once you start, what if you start trying to get any kind of mastery, it becomes clear that it is not uh, a, at a level beyond, I think, Age of Empires or even perhaps Rise of Nations. Rise of Nations is interesting here. Uh, it's the only real time strategy game I ever tried to like consistently play competitive multiplayer with. And like, when you start doing that, you start realizing, okay, I click with this faction. I need to stick with them. And for me, it was the Bantu. Uh, I think the having the extra city in each era or like having a plus one on your city cap just felt like the way that I wanted to play that game. So I stuck with the Bantu. Um, at a level that like was pretty rare because like, I don't know. Civilization 3, I tended to play the Chinese almost exclusively, and that was the first Civ to have uh, notable faction differentiation. Yeah, it's interesting that, that there, there are games that have tried to sort of split the difference more where, you know, uh, Age of Empires being one, Civ also until recently, I think, would fit this mold where it's, you know, Everybody's going to be roughly the same, but then they're going to have one or two units that are different or one or two units they can't use. I think Shogun 2 also kind of worked that way. Like, you know, the 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 uh, the Takeda and the the Shimazu aren't that different, except like Shimazu gets super better swordsmen that, the, you know, the other factions don't have, have access to. Versus the way that the Warhammer games do it, where like every single faction has completely different units than everyone else. Although they they have done some things to give certain factions archetypes of units that they didn't really have in the tabletop game, not a big fan of foot squires for Bretonia. I think that was a misstep because um, <laughs> they just they just needed a good infantry unit when like their whole thing is supposed to be that they don't have good infantry units. Um, but I guess Total War hasn't solved the problem of how do you make a faction that doesn't have any good infantry units yet. Um, well. Rob is typing at me to uh, get into uh, well, there's, uh, there's something here. There's a thing on your that, planning uh, document that I'm like, <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm let's, let's, let's roll with this. Yeah. All right. So uh, Lynn actually mentioned half of this. And this yeah. is that like, this is, this is a history that fits in, not just as strategy games are doing this. This is a thing that board games are doing. This is a thing that other genres are doing within uh uh, computer games and video games. Um, so, like, you mentioned Warhammer, and Warhammer is obviously, like, the tabletop version of this is extremely based on my personality is I play this faction. Yeah. I, ha I have a fucking ogre army, or I have a fucking uh, necrophages, or whatever. Uh, it's not necrophages. Tyranids. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. Um you know all the all the death bugs, whatever. Um, <laughs> Necrons. Necrons, yeah. Necrons are a thing. Yeah. Okay, okay. I was I was close. <laughs> Necrophages are are endless legend, I think. Uh, and then like that manifested computer games where like Warcraft started as kind of a Warhammer thing. I'm not, I don't know the full details on that, but I believe Blizzard thought they were making a Warhammer game and they got the rug pulled out from under them. They're like, fuck it, we're just taking the serial numbers off and releasing it. Uh, but, you know, Warcraft 1 and 2 have some, like, nominal difference between the orcs and the humans, but 
it's only when you get into StarCraft and WarCraft 3 that they're like, okay, these are completely different, but also still balanced. Um, but if you look at like tabletop wargaming with things like Warhammer, yeah, this blew up, especially in the UK, uh, in a way where like each faction was tremendously different and how you build your faction with your army that you have the rules to put together, uh, changes how the shape of the thing works dramatically. And I think that idea is one that starts seeping into computer and video games. Um, but the other thing is that this is when I put my RPG critic hat on, uh, I think that you start seeing across the 90s the the beginnings of this. Like I, I just mentioned the Blizzard games, how Warcraft 1 and 2 were not like this, and then StarCraft was like, okay, these factions are massively different. Um, another example is the Warlords series, where the first Warlords game was... A, a turn-based fantasy strategy game on one specific map in each faction, I believe. Um, like, each castle on the map could build specific units. And where your faction started would kind of depend, would make which units you were building kind of the dominant ones. So the horse lords started on castles that built horses, and therefore they would have armies primarily of cavalry. Uh by the time you get into Warcraft or Warlords 3, uh, the factions are kind of inherent. So any castle you take over, like some of them are special and can build specific units, but most of them are just like, okay, you are playing the Syrians who are the kind of generic knight faction. You will build Pegasi, you will build heavy infantry, you will build peasants, and you will build knights. Uh, those are, those are your only types of units. Uh, so you don't go across the map. And like, if you go and play the original Warlords 1 map in the Warlords 3 engine, this is a thing that manifests there where it, the game feels completely different because the faction you're playing now has a significantly stronger determinant of the units you build as opposed to the geography being the determinant of the units that you build. So this thing is happening across the 90s. And when I put my RPG critic hat on, there's something else happening across the 90s where games start realizing that some classes that you play are really boring compared to other classes. If you go play AD&D and you're playing as a wizard, you have all kinds of different options for what spells you're going to cast. You can cast a fireball or you can cast a lightning bolt. If you're playing as a fighter, you hit things. That's it. You have one button. It's attack. And if you're playing as a cleric, and... you can do lots of things, but nobody wants you to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you heal or you take damage and shut the fuck up. Um the so as the 90s progresses, there are several games that uh change the focus from kind of a party-based system to a uh individual character-based system. Fallout is the biggest one, but the Diablo series also gets into this. And in, by the time Diablo 2 rolls around in 2000, they have decided, okay, each different class we have is going to play in a totally different way. So you have like Zeal Paladins or Lightning Mages, or were they wizards in that one? No, they were mages. Um and then, like, you know, the assassins or the, you know, pet necromancers versus exploding corpse necromancers. Uh, 
each class has its own interesting skills and decisions that you make, and they have their their mana equivalents. Um, RPGs are getting into their hyper-specificity that happens as games become more about individual characters. And to take this all back to StarCraft and Warcraft, Blizzard is at the kind of at the center of this because Blizzard puts the same mechanics in all their games. If you are playing a paladin in Diablo 2, you have uh auras you have like thorns or healing or whatever and then if you play as a paladin of warcraft 3 you have an aura if you play a paladin in world of warcraft you have an aura so you have these three different genres that are all kind of built on this specificity that are all interacting with one another and so that's why diablo 2 is on my list because it's feeding into RPG or RPGs are feeding into strategy games back and forth in very specific ways with Blizzard, but I think also in general with other uh, tactics games and um, other kind of fantasy strategy games like Age of Wonders or the Disciples series that starts coming across in the 2000s, uh, where each thing is its own, each race is its own thing because, you know, fantasy, whatever. Uh, and that also feeds into the idea that, all right, there is some sort of inherent elfiness here. It's not just that elf units are good archers, but elves have to be designed to behave in a certain way that is consistent across the whole faction. So if you are an elf player, then you have this kind of army that you're building. Um, um, just to add something to that, I, I think one of the things I'd, I'd like to call out is that Maybe not immediately in the wake of Diablo, but like skill trees become increasingly a direct part of strategy games. Um, certainly Warcraft 3 characters can develop along certain lines, but later just a lot of strategy games uh, begin having options about like, how are you going to spec out your faction? Um, and yeah. how you spec that out is going to swing pretty heavily uh the way your faction or the way your game plays and the various strengths and weaknesses you need to leverage or or hide um and so i think that's that's another dynamic here where part of your relationship now with a faction isn't just like learning oh well what do what what you know what are the unique units what does the faction do it also becomes about okay so if i spec out in this way and i take these options like what does what do i need to do to make the most of that and I get that is a cool thing, but also it does mean now you're presuming a certain level of investment required uh, to really fully grok what's what's happening in a in, with a faction. Yeah, like I think Civilization Five is sort of the peak of this, right? Where um, that first decision that you make about whether you're building tall or building wide is as important as the decision that you make about what faction you're playing. Uh, and that's actually... And we can maybe talk about that in a bit. I think we should... That's a, a, a significant digression. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, this is... Like, we sort of talk about the 90s and the 2010s, but the 2000s, we're, we're seeing this sort of develop over that decade from here's a bunch of ideas about how you can have different specificity in games to, okay, here's how that specificity will work. And that includes both the faction itself and how you're customizing that faction as you're playing. 
The other really interesting thing that I've seen come up more recently is is the idea that the factions don't even necessarily want the same things. Um, if you think of it, like StarCraft, a lot of the other games we've talked about, they have a different way of doing things, but they all kind of want the same thing at the end of the day. Um, Shogun 2, it's like everybody wants to be the Emperor. Only one person can be the Emperor. Who gets to be the Emperor? Um, with Warhammer, some of these factions have like victory conditions that aren't only like Civ, where there's multiple finish lines, and you could pick which one you want to cross, but whoever crosses it first wins. It's like there are factions that really don't care what is going on maybe on 75% of the map. Um, they, they just need to accomplish this one really specific thing. So it's not only that they they accomplish their goals differently, but the entire thing that you're aiming for is different, which I think is is uh, kind of another step beyond and something that I've enjoyed yeah. um, quite a bit, yeah. particularly you, with Warhammer. Like, you like your wood elves. I do like my wood elves. <laughs> uh, I think... Yeah, Warhammer uh, show is coming up next, people. We're we're, uh, we're getting to it. Okay, there there's a reason for this. Uh, uh, we're and it's not we're, just because we, Len loves a noble savage myth uh, set in <laughs> uh, set in a you know in, in a woodland somewhere. Uh, there's there's uh, other as, reasons. The as noble well. savage has to be a girl too. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's 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 the new yeah. That's the new uh, meta. Uh, uh, that it's not new. You're just admitting it. Okay. Um, All right. So this actually goes back to sort of what I was saying uh, about how the 2000s have really interesting things going on, and um, the game that I actually or game isn't even the right term, but the thing that I think of as where I started seeing this pop up, this idea of you're not, it, your goals are totally different in addition to everything else, uh, is somewhat paradox games like uh, Europa Universalis, where, you know, if you're playing as Russia, it's going to be a very different game from if you're playing as, uh, you know, Malacca or uh, something of the sort. Um if you're playing as Russia, then world domination is kind of on the table. And if you're playing as a small province, then it's not really. So what are you going to do? But uh, this manifested for me, both in terms of like long-term goals and how the game plays in the Civilization for Rise and Fall of Civilization, which long-time listeners will know that I actually like help beta test and I'm thanked in the credits somewhere and uh, stuff like that. But uh, in that game, you had both the specificity of the map where like China is going to play totally different because they have much more room to expand than any of the European powers. Uh, but also each civilization has different goals that if you manage to succeed in them, you can basically, that's one way to play the game and say that you've won. Uh, they also give you buffs in the game if you want to just kind of take over the world with them. But like, uh, if you're playing as the Romans, then it's like one of the goals is conquer like Spain, France, North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia Minor by 600 AD, and you get a golden age. Um, so there are these like internal goals that are driving you and are often like basically extreme versions of how you would want to play this faction anyway. In addition to like where the starting zone is, what unique units you have, uh, what the pacing of the game is going to be. Like the Chinese have very specific 
times when they're going to have to defend against northern invaders. Uh, all those things combined to have each faction play in a completely different way. And like, I just really liked playing China and sometimes liked playing Persia and really liked playing Rome, but never played as Germany and never played as Russia or whatever. Uh, and I always think that it's really interesting that Ahmad was doing this. Um, when we were talking about this in the discord, the, uh, um, Fall from Heaven mod, which was kind of a giant fantasy war game that just threw everything at the wall, was also mentioned in that way. And yeah, like those factions all had very different units, but that was a more, uh, that was like Civ, but with fantasy units in that like it was random maps and you could play it however, uh, whereas Rise and Fall was very, very, very specific on a static world and uh could like only be played in those specific ways with those specific factions so uh as we wrap up here and my poodle gets more and more unruly um, <laughs> Casey's doing the same thing it's the it's that time of day when the dogs are upset yeah yeah been talking also to the rectangle for too long it's also Percy's dinner time so he's gonna start <laughs> bullying me yeah so I guess for me, here's the weird thing. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I love the trend in some ways because, but entirely for selfish reasons, right? It's like, oh, I like it means that most strategy games very, very quickly move away from me uh, because they are catering quite, quite wisely, probably to people who are already there and who are committed to the game and are uh, going to revisit, revisit it again and again. And I don't think that bothers me so much provided there's a good and interesting runway to sort of like leave you a trail of breadcrumbs to those more personalized factions where you can express other aspects of what's possible in the game. Um, but I think it I think for me, like where I do run into problems immediately is when everything is so hyper distinct that it feels like you kind of need a full mastery of all the things that all these various factions do and how they relate to the core game. The minute you have like that level of what almost feels like the homework required, which is kind of what I feel like when I when I fire up Civ Six, uh, that's when I start to lose interest a little bit or it's not even interest because i think in theory to me i'm like it does sound interesting learning how all this works it's more that it's discouraging to realize how long it's going to take to like see how all this is going to work because the first thing you have to do to understand how a specific faction works is you kind of need to understand just how the game works in the most neutral bog standard way what are the core dynamics here because only then do you really get okay. I see what I see what these specific bonuses and debuffs do. Um, and if you don't, if if there's not a good like almost tutorialized path of progress for you to go from like game one to game ten, where you're like, I want to try some weird shit. Then I then that's when I start to feel like this is this is preaching to too narrow a choir. So you basically want all these games to turn into Hades. Yes. I mean, I mean I all, right. all games Excellent. to turn you, into Hades. Yeah. 
Um, no, like, I think there's also the issue where it's like, do I dislike this game because I dislike playing this faction? Yeah. Or do I dislike this game because it's not very good? And how much effort do I want to put in to figuring this out? Like, I was pretty down on Warhammer 2 between release and now, not because, like... I didn't think the game was good, but then, like, I bounced off it so often that maybe I didn't think that the game was good. I definitely thought Three Kingdoms was better, but now I have managed to click with a couple different factions as we ramp up to our, our show on it, and I'm like, okay, this game is fucking awesome. I, I, I'm totally on board with Warhammer 2 now, but that's because I've found my things that I want to do, but until I did... I was like, I don't know, like maybe, maybe aspects of this game are just like, have been totally eclipsed by a different game. And I just have to live with that. But, you know, I put in the effort multiple times across, you know, different months, different patches, and eventually it worked. But why would someone who is not trying to do a podcast on it uh, <laughs> actually do that? Len, I feel like in yeah. some ways, though, all of this is for you, buddy. Like, this is, <laughs> like, the world I mean, is I... your oyster. Like, you know, every, like, because you do kind of play some, some games you play this way, where you're like, I just want to suck the marrow out of these bones, right? Like, that's yeah. how much of this I'm going to get into. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I and, have. And, and you like to play to roleplay. Exactly, and that, and then this this enhances that a lot, which uh, I, I think it's part of the reason that I like you know factions like the non mon, whereas they weren't maybe weren't quite as uh, appealing to some other people on the cast. Is that yeah, a big a big big part of whether or not I click with a faction in any strategy game is like, do I enjoy the fantasy of this faction, and do I feel like I'm enjoying uh, living out the. Uh, you know the the role play side of this faction. Uh, do the do the mechanics support you know what I think is cool about them? Um, that's why I kind of get irritated when you have stuff like okay, uh, every every Norse faction and every historical strategy game is just going to be about aggressive shock infantry. It's like no, give me give me some give me some boats, give me some you know give me some ways to do trade stuff like that. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, and I, I do play. I play a lot of games a little bit, and I play a few games a lot. Um, like, you know, ru ruin your life sort of uh, <laughs> hours if it wasn't also my job, uh, which is part of why I made this my job. So, yeah, it it is great when the factions design is specific enough that what I'm doing from turn to turn is not only very different, but also, you know, if the opportunities and goals in front of me are different. That's even better. Um, it's not just the wood elves. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's, you know, the chaos in, 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 in Warhammer has completely I mean, different objectives. That's from what the everyone thing. Else like is doing. sometimes it's really yeah. fucking cool to be like, Oh, they just created a different game inside yeah, this thing. Uh, but then I also will sometimes get disappointed by, you know, the, uh, I, I mentioned the, you know, the non-mon. They feel like they're, they're, the, it's the junior varsity victory condition. Rob, you might have been the one that described it that way. Yeah. Or like, it, it doesn't feel as cool as becoming Emperor of China does. So, uh, I, like, it's not the same as saying, oh, I just want everybody to 
have the exact same victory condition. I just want everyone's victory condition to feel equally like an equal accomplishment, uh, which I don't think it really did for the the non-mon because it's like, you know, uh, we didn't, yeah. And there's also issues with like Total Warhammer where, or Total War in general, where like you can have a really great feeling on the tactical level that isn't there on the strategic or vice versa. Yeah. And that could get really messy. Like I right, love how right. the beastmen control in combat, the, the minotaurs that just like run in and bounce around like that shit is amazing, <laughs> but I cannot stand hordes in, uh, Total War games, like I, there's just something about it that doesn't click with me at all. I'm I still do not angry want to about play as a horde. Like I was playing that shit on stream, and people were like, "Bro, that's not how the Skaven really work." And I'm like, "This is how every Total War works." I'm sorry. Do you mind <laughs> if I play my game? Well, here's the pro. Okay, okay, maybe we should save this for the Warhammer show. But uh, really quickly, Skaven and Beastmen have a similar problem, which is that they get a way to play a specific way that is different from how everyone else plays, but is also suboptimal compared to just playing them like how every other faction plays. That's the problem with both of them. <laughs> and this is so where you that, get when you start yeah. uh, really drilling down into okay, what other uh, little off the wall experiences can we create? Uh-huh. Um, and especially when that impulse is supercharged by Warhammer uh, faction differ- differentiation uh-huh. sensibilities. Yeah, yeah and um, like, I don't know. It's it's weird because, like, to go back to your original question, is this good or not? Like, I go into Total Warhammer 2 and I click on Mortal Empires and I'm like, all right, who do I want to play? And I just sort of mentally dismiss the Chaos Warriors, I mentally dismiss the Beast of it, I mentally dismiss the Skaven, although I kind of want to get into learning the Skaven. Um, and then it's like, okay, now which of these do I want to pick? And is that a way that I actually want to play this game? It's kind of disappointing because playing as the rats is cool. Like, I would love to play as the rats in a way that clicked for me, but they have not clicked for me. Maybe they will someday. I don't know. Um, and, you know, I love the green skin. I love some of the elves. Uh, and it's this weird thing where it's like, am I playing the game wrong because these things aren't clicking with me? Or is the game designed in a way where yes. this is just how it's supposed to go? And there's this weird, like, it's sort of related to the completionist instinct, but I don't yes. think it's quite the same. Uh, it's it's kind of more of like an expertise instinct, I think. Uh, no, but I think it's. I think you're right, though. I think you, you've hit on something. One thing that is profound about this, which is that as you make games more like this, it does get harder to tell. Like, so what am I doing right or wrong here? I think this is one of the reasons it took me so long to really like work through my feelings with Endless Legend, right? Where it was like, uh, everything seems to be going all right, but is it? I don't know. Um, and like it's. I'm competitive with all my neighbors and then I meet someone and they are like a generation ahead in technology. And I'm like, well, I guess I was way behind in that game, but I didn't know that until a minute ago. Um, so now what? Uh, but like it, when you have all these decisions and they're very faction dependent, it can get very like, what are you navigating by? Right. One thing yeah. that comes from people starting from roughly the same place and play mechanics is you can like look around and be like, okay, like, yeah, we're on the same tier of units or they tiered up, they upgraded this. Like, yeah, I can, I can sort of see how, how our decisions are playing out. 
a, a bit. I can parse that visually and 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 by feel. Uh, when you've got these really specific ideas for how a faction plays, and by design, it's like this is unlike anything else in the game. You also do kind of create a problem of of feedback, right? Of like signposting for the player whether or not they've got it, you know, and whether or not this experience is the one that is intended. Right. So like I've been playing Total War Hammer a bunch and I keep looking at the strength rate of my faction, even though I am utterly baffled by how this is calculated. And I don't know if I'm doing well relative to what I should be doing because I'm in a worse starting position, or if it's just that this is calculated by things that playing on hard gives the AI so many bonuses, I shouldn't even bother looking at it. If I'm just, as long as I'm continuing to expand, will this be enough? All the, all these things become increasingly difficult and like, okay, this is my fifth game as Azhag the Slaughterer, and I now know what would be good or not, but it took me five games, and if I were just kind of playing this casually, not knowing, okay, I want to get into Azhag, uh, I would probably have been pretty damn annoyed. So, kind of love the spooky hat. <laughs> It's a good spooky hat. It is a good spooky hat. I think we'll be able to uh, test this theory a little bit more specifically with the Total Warhammer 2 show uh, we've we've got coming up, where at least we're going to try to come to terms with, with a few factions. Uh, but I think we're going to have to leave it here and uh, also R just Rob, accept that... What? Rob, normally when we do a show like this, we solve strategy games. But today we didn't. That's true. Next time on Three Moves and <laughs> we solve Finish strategy the games. <laughs> uh, well, but that'll do it for now. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. This episode was produced by Keith Carberry. Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. And speaking of which, we revamped the Patreon. I wrote a whole long post explaining the changes, but here's the deal. We're doing more cool stuff for the Patreon now. Uh, for one thing, Troy wanted to start doing our movie podcasts more regularly, and we didn't want to completely swamp the 3MA feed. Uh, and we also wanted a, a good reason to do that on the on the regular, so he and I could do that. And so we're going to do that for our backers at the $5 tier. So if you liked what we did with uh, Troy and Kingdom of Heaven or The Lion in Winter and Beckett, uh, what a weird movie Beckett is. Uh, but I, I think you'll dig what we're doing, uh, with that, with that episode every month. Uh, this month we're talking about the movie 1917 and a movie about a lone British paratrooper trying to survive a long night in Belfast in the early days of the Troubles, uh, 71. Next month we're hitting Valkyrie and Seven Days in May. Uh, but there is in fact more. We're still doing Q and A's at the ten dollar tier. Uh, so if you're if you're at that tier, if that describes your Patreon pledge, please remember to submit questions. Uh, but hey, we're also doing book club style discussions. Last year, Rowan and I talked about Ron Chernow's uh, Grant biography, and I think we both agreed it was it was fine. <laughs> <laughs>
It was good books, pop history. Though. Books, though. A, like, we, we realized that books are good again. That's, you know, that, that's a, that is an important thing. Uh, if we, we, I think we've all been having a little trouble making time for, for books uh, because we're spending so much time trying to get good at wood elves. And we've lost sight of what's important. <laughs> uh, so this, this tier will, will help us. Uh, next month, Bruce and I are going to talk about Fall Weiss. Uh, Robert Forchek's book about the German invasion of Poland and how badly understood it generally is. Uh, the TLDR is that the Blitzkrieg tactics Germany famously employed in its early victories were actually not as effective or developed as we're often told. And uh, the fall of Poland is a much more complicated and bloodier story than is often understood. Uh, we still have our super secret discord, but maybe it's a little too secret. So here's the thing. We have a Discord, where if you pay us $25 a month, you can hang out with a bunch of strategy nerds. Now, we supposedly talk about strategy games, but I was in there late the other night and ended up in a debate about Uncut Gems. So, you know, it's Discord. <laughs> um, but it is it is there, and it's, it's a fun place to, to hang out. Uh, finally, and I can't emphasize this enough, uh, our $50 tier quietly rocks, I'm not going to lie. Um, I think we need to stop pretending it doesn't. Just about every week we have a group uh, meeting for a big multiplayer session, usually led by Len, and usually centering on a Paradox game. At minimum, this is a pretty good games club. Uh, and if all of that is too much, and you just want to throw some money at us as a way of saying thanks for the podcast, and uh, don't want to do a whole like join the community thing, believe me. I get it. So our tip jar starts at a buck. We'll thank you quietly and leave you the hell alone, except for a monthly update, which you can ignore or not. Uh, that covers the big changes. Um, there's a little more detail. You can check it all out on patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, but beyond that, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Rowan, for Len, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight and thank you.